Good morning. How was everybody's Thanksgiving? Is it good? We had a good Thanksgiving. We had um, Grant's family all came into town, and then my parents came over for Thanksgiving too. And while we were sitting there at the table, we went around and everyone was supposed to say what they were thankful for. Does anybody else do that at Thanksgiving? And so the adults said, you know, some good things like family and friends. And then it was my kiddo's turn. I have three boys. And the 10-year-old says that he's thankful for food. And he said it really like, tried to be like in a deep voice, you know, like food. And then my middle guy warmed my heart And he said that he was thankful that he has a mom that cooks him dinner every night. I was so touched. I'm like, oh my gosh, all I really make is like mac and cheese. But he's thankful. And then my youngest, Ryan, said that he was thankful for dead turkeys. (laughs) And he was very emphatic. Like he didn't, we didn't have to wait for him to think about it. He was like, dead turkeys. That's what I'm thankful for. So, you know, he's keeping it real on Thanksgiving. So we are going to talk today about gratitude. And it can sound a little cliche that we're going to talk about gratitude the week of Thanksgiving, but there is a lot of power wrapped up in gratitude. I found a lot of really cool things this week when I was researching and praying and listening. So we're also going to talk a little bit about joy, We're not going to talk too much about it because the whole December sermon series is going to be about joy. But part of why we're talking about gratitude today is because gratitude kickstarts joy. Without gratitude, you can't really have joy. Without Thanksgiving, there's no joy. I had a Facebook friend post this week that they thought it was really cool how Thanksgiving comes right before Christmas because we have the opportunity to be grateful and give thanks and then it kind of just kickstarts our Christmas season because Christmas is joyful, you know? Easter can be a little bit contemplative, a little somber as you prepare to celebrate, but Christmas is just joy all the way around. So there's actually a scientific link between gratitude and joy, not just like the schedule of the holidays. Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown, has anyone watched any of Brene Brown's videos? Okay, the rest of you need to look her up later today. She is a researcher, a sociologist, she has a PhD, and she has spent years studying things like empathy, joy, gratitude. So she went into a 12-year-long research process on joy and gratitude. And she thought her assumption when she started was that joyful people were grateful people. I mean, that sounds good to me. If you're full of joy, you'll be grateful for the things that are around you. But she was actually surprised to find out that it was the exact opposite. Grateful people are joyful. It says... One of the findings that emerged from her research was that the people who described themselves as joyful all had one thing in common, an active gratitude practice. So gratitude comes first, and then joy follows. But notice that she says an active gratitude practice. Gratitude is something we have to do, something we have to practice. It can't be like a half-hearted mindset, like I'm going to have a mindset of being grateful. That's not the way it works. It's something you have to do, something that is active. She says that the wholehearted folk whom she interviewed all had a tangible practice of gratitude, whether that was journaling, 
meditation, or saying grace. So why should we be grateful? Well, like we just heard, it brings joy. Why is joy a good thing? Proverbs 17.22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. There's an old saying that says that laughter is the best medicine. Well, according to the Bible, that's actually true. It says a joyful heart is good medicine. I think it's interesting, though, that it doesn't say that a joyful heart is good. Or a joyful heart should be your goal. It says that a joyful heart is medicine. Well, what is medicine? What does medicine do? Medicine changes our bodies physiologically. We take medicine in, we digest it, or we absorb it through our skin, and then it goes in and it changes the way our bodies function on a cellular level. It heals us, it makes us feel better, it actually affects our physical bodies. So according to this verse, joy will actually change your physical body. It can heal you, it can change the way your body feels, the way your body functions. A joyful heart is good medicine. So do you have some aches and pains? Anyone sick? Anyone have a cold today? You need some joy. You need some laughter. And we get that through gratitude. You know, there are scientific benefits to laughter. I found this quote, laughter has been shown to lead to reductions in stress hormones such as cortisol and epinephrine. When laughing, the brain also releases endorphins that can relieve some physical pain. Laughter also boosts the number of antibody-producing cells and enhances the effectiveness of T-cells, leading to a stronger immune system. All of that just by laughing. A stronger immune system, less aches and pains. Do you know that children laugh an average of 300 times every day? Guess how many times a day adults laugh? 17. Wow, (laughs) right? I mean, who as a whole, adults or kids, seems happier, more joyful, healthier, able to bend at the knees a little bit better, right? Now, there's more factors that go into aches and pains than just age and laughter, but kids laugh a lot, and they're typically pretty healthy and strong little guys. So the second reason why we should be grateful is that Jesus was grateful. Jesus walked in gratitude. And if I want to be like Jesus, then I need to walk in gratitude myself. We have a couple different occasions in the Bible where it's recorded Jesus actually giving thanks to the Father. One was when he was feeding the 5,000. He took two loaves of bread. He gave thanks for the bread And then it multiplied and it fed the crowd of thousands of people. He gave thanks and then a miracle followed it. He gave thanks and then provision from heaven flowed. Let's look at a passage from John chapter 11, 38 to 44, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Once again, Jesus give thanks before the miracle occurs. Jesus thanked the Father for hearing him. The relationship between the Trinity, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's the most symbiotic relationship that exists. And still, Jesus did not take it for granted. He thanked the Father for hearing him. Jesus was grateful for his relationship with the Father. He voiced that, and he expected that that gratitude would impact the people around him. And then once again, the gratitude was almost like the door. It opened the door for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. Gratitude can open the door to the supernatural. Then, at the Last Supper, the night before Jesus died, he gave thanks for the bread and the wine as he served his disciples and as he laid the foundation for communion that we still practice today as a church body. Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." So here's kind of a cool thing about it. The liturgical term, like the churchy kind of term for communion is Eucharist. Do you know what Eucharist means? Thanksgiving. The whole act of communion, the whole act of participating in the bread and the wine is an act of thanksgiving. Jesus knew the sacrifice that he was going to make the very next day. He thanked the Father for the bread that represented his body that was going to be broken mere hours later. He was grateful that he was going to sacrifice his body. And then he thanked the Father for the cup that represented his blood that was going to be poured out. He was grateful for his body and the blood that was going to be shed for us. Now, this doesn't mean that the sacrifice was easy. We see just hours later, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's crying and he's asking for this cup to be taken from him. The sacrifice was not easy, but he was grateful for it. He was thankful for it because he knew the joy that was coming. Jesus had gratitude when he served the Last Supper. And then when we participate in communion, when we participate in the Eucharist, we get to participate in thanksgiving. We get to be thankful that we have a Savior that sacrificed his body, that sacrificed his blood. Jesus walked in gratitude. I want to walk in gratitude too. Third reason we were created to be, we should be thankful is that we were actually created to be thankful. When God made us, he made us so that our bodies would have a positive physical reaction when we walk in gratitude. We saw that there were medical benefits, scientific benefits to laughter. There's also scientific benefits to gratitude. When we walk in gratitude, it's 
it's almost like we're functioning more in the way that we were built to function. Like when you take your car for an oil change and they put in the fresh oil and they tighten all the little knob thingies under the hood. I'm clearly not a mechanic. And you drive away from the oil change place and you're like, wow, my car's working so much better. When we walk in gratitude, it's kind of like that feeling. So here are seven scientific proven benefits of gratitude published by Forbes. First of all, gratitude opens the door to more relationships. When we begin a relationship, when we're in acquaintance with someone and we express gratitude to them, the relationship actually blooms and becomes a stronger, healthier relationship. Gratitude improves physical health. People report fewer aches and pains, and they actually take care of themselves better. They actually go to the doctor more frequently, exercise more regularly, eat more healthily. People take care of themselves when they walk in gratitude. Gratitude improves psychological health. It reduces things like envy, resentment, frustration, and regret. It also increases the amount of happiness people feel and decreases depression. Gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Grateful people sleep better. Who needs more sleep? (laughs) There was a study that showed that people that spent 15 minutes writing in a gratitude journal before bed slept better and longer. Gratitude improves self-esteem. It reduces social comparisons, and it helps you to appreciate other people's accomplishments. But here's the really cool one. Those are good. Those are great. But this one is really incredible. Gratitude increases mental strength and plays a major role in overcoming trauma. A 2006 study published in Behavior Research and Therapy found that Vietnam War veterans with higher levels of gratitude experience lower rates of post-traumatic stress disorder. A 2003 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terrorist attacks on September 11th. Recognizing all you have to be thankful for, even during the worst times of your life, fosters resilience. Isn't that incredible? I think it's interesting too, neither of those two studies were written from a Christian perspective. It was a pure scientific, this is what we found. This isn't even saying like, hey, Christian people, be grateful, it'll help you. This is just across the board. Anyone can be grateful and can experience these benefits. I think the vast majority of us have experienced something traumatic in our lives. And if we're honest, we live in a fallen world, we live in a broken world, we're probably going to encounter something hard in front of us. That's probably going to happen. But we know a key to resilience, a key to surviving the hard things that are in front of us is to pick up gratitude and carry a grateful heart with us. Science has proven that gratitude is beneficial to us, that it helps us survive these circumstances with few or long-term effects. So we use science in lots of ways. Like science can tell us, hey, it's gonna rain on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, I'm gonna make sure that I take my umbrella with me when I come to work, or I'm gonna wear a coat with a hood on it because my hair, you know, gotta cover that up. So we, we look at what science tells us and then we pick up our tools that we need. Well, 
we know that we're going to encounter difficulties, so let's pick up our umbrella of gratitude and help it cover us, help it protect us as we move through life. Does that make sense? All right, so what keeps us from gratitude? I don't think anyone would say, well, thankfulness is terrible. I don't want to be known as a thankful person. So if we know that thankfulness and gratitude is good, what keeps us from walking in it, from having an active practice? Well, the chief assailants of, of gratitude are envy, greed, pride, and a critical spirit. So envy is wanting what other people have. Taking my eyes off of what I have, what my possessions that I have, my giftings that I have, the things that I've been blessed with, and looking and saying, oh man, I want his gifting. When he goes up on the stage and preaches, these things happen. I want his gifting. And not being grateful for the gifting that I have. We need to keep our eyes on what we've been given, what we've been blessed with, and then we need to steward that well. And also bless other people with what they've been blessed with. Greed. Greed is wanting more and more and more and never being satisfied. For me, this doesn't show up as much with material possessions. It shows up more with experience. Like, I'm never quite satisfied with the experiences that I've had, and I always want to experience something more or overcome another obstacle. I was having a conversation with a friend in August, and I said, you know, I really feel like I just need a new challenge. I just haven't, like, I just need something to do. And she was like, Sarah, Grant got a new job in May. You guys moved in June and bought a new house, and in July, you ran a summer camp. Like, I think you've overcome a lot recently. I think you've had a lot of challenges. I was like, oh, <laughs> I think you're right. I need to stop focusing on like, what's next? What can I do next? And I just need to rest in the things that I've done with God, the things that we've accomplished together. I need to kind of rest and soak in those things and enjoy what he's given me instead of constantly looking ahead to the next. Pride. Pride says, look at what I did. I made my own destiny. I don't need to be grateful to anyone or anything because I built this with my two hands and my brain. I created this. I did this. I deserve this. That's pride. But in reality, we don't live in a vacuum. We don't create things in a vacuum. There's always somebody that comes alongside of us, opens a door, helps create an opportunity, blesses us. And if on the rare chance that there is someone that really did like pull themselves up by their own two bootstraps, God was there. God gifted you with the resolve to actually do that. He gave you the strength to do that. Pride goes against gratitude. Then lastly, a critical spirit always looking for the downside, always looking for what can be fixed, what could be better. I find myself doing this with my new house. I walk around, I'm like, oh, I need to put a chair in that corner, and this needs a wall, and oh, I don't like this sink, I want a bigger sink, and you know, I'm like walking around looking at what I can fix with a critical eye instead of just being grateful that, oh, we have a bigger backyard and we have enough space and the boys aren't on top of each other anymore. I just need to be grateful for what we have. This critical spirit, though, I think can show up in relationships a lot. We can be critical of our spouse, 
of our kids, our parents, our friends, our bosses, our coworkers. And we're constantly looking at, oh, they didn't do that right. Oh, I don't like the way their tone of voice when they said that to me. I wish they would just whatever. Instead of really focusing on the good things. That's how I want people to think of me. I want my husband to think that I'm wonderful and lovely and I want my kids to love the mac and cheese that I make. I want them to be just so focused on the good parts of me and really ignore all of my shortcomings. But do I do that to the people in my life? Do I focus on their positive aspects or am I nitpicking? Am I looking for things that I wish they would change? I don't wanna have a critical spirit. It hinders us from gratitude. And really, what really keeps us from gratitude is our fallen nature. Envy, pride, greed, those are all characteristics of the fall. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had everything they could ever want or need. They got to spend time walking with God in the cool of the day, and yet they wanted more. They weren't grateful for what they had, and they tried to take more. Gratitude, on the other hand, is the language of the kingdom. Gratitude trusts that God knows what's best for us. Gratitude trusts that God is going to provide. Gratitude is content and recognizes the blessings that surround us. Gratitude remembers all that God has done and gratitude believes all the things that God is going to do. So how are we supposed to be grateful? How are we supposed to actually develop an active, tangible gratitude practice? Well, first of all, we need to be grateful for who God is. We need to be thankful for our God, our Father, our Creator. Psalm 100, verses four and five. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. When we enter into his presence, we enter with thanksgiving, grateful for who he is, grateful that he is good, grateful that he is love, grateful that he allows us to praise him and to be in relationship with him. I'm starting with this aspect of how we walk in gratitude because I don't ever want to lose sight of who God is. The minute that Adam and Eve took their eyes off of who God was, how great he was, how generous he was, greed and envy crept into their hearts and they were consequently removed from his presence. They were sent out of the Garden of Eden. Their envy and their greed removed them from God's presence. Gratitude, on the other hand, ushers us into his presence. When we are grateful, we enter his courts. We can come into his presence. Thanksgiving ushers us into the presence of God. Secondly, we need to be grateful for the unshakable kingdom that we are a part of. If you have followed Jesus, if you are a believer, then you are part of this kingdom. It is unshakable. It will not be moved. It will not be destroyed. It will stand forever, and we can stand firm in that. Our hope is secure in our unshakable kingdom. Hebrews 12, verses 26 to 29. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is like an if-then statement or a cause and effect statement. Since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be thankful. We have an unshakable kingdom, so we should be walking in gratitude. We should be worshiping God with reverence and awe. We have an unshakable kingdom. We need to be thankful for that. Next, we need to be thankful in all circumstances. It can be easy to be grateful when times are easy. When you're with your favorite people, the sun is shining, you're doing your favorite activity, it can be easy to be grateful. But it's so much harder in the mundane, in the day-to-day grind, or when things are hard, when you're sick, or your kids are sick, or your father is sick, or somebody's hurting. It's so much harder to be grateful then. But the word tells us that we should still be thankful. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These verses presuppose that the situation that we need to bring before God would naturally be anxiety-producing. If we were just natural, normal people, we would have anxiety in these situations that we're supposed to present to God. But it is in those precise situations that we're supposed to refuse to let anxiety enter our hearts. We're supposed to turn to God, thank him, even though we might want to be feeling anxious about it, we thank him and we depend on him. And then his peace comes. His peace that doesn't make any earthly sense. His peace comes and overtakes any anxiety that we may be feeling. You know, I've been kind of racking my brain this week and trying to think of a particular instance where I've had this happen. And I know I have because I can feel it right now. Like I can think back and remember that time when anxiety would melt away and the peace would just kind of flood in. And the, the time that sticks out the most, I think, is about nine, ten years ago, maybe. And I was supposed to have surgery. And I've had a lot of surgeries in my life, and I don't enjoy them, to put it lightly. And it was going to be the same surgery that I had had like five years prior to that. And 15 years ago, when I had the surgery, it was not enjoyable. And I spent about two weeks in like a pain-filled stupor of like laying on the couch, moaning, and Grant was bringing me ice bags, and like it was just not fun. Well, this time, I had a six-month-old baby that I was nursing, and I knew I was going into the same surgery, and I just started to feel like all this anxiety well up, like how am I gonna care for a baby? How is this gonna happen? What am I gonna do? I can't just lay on the couch for two weeks anymore. I'm scared of the pain. And we came here on a Sunday morning and people gathered around and they started just to pray for me. And the peace just kind of flooded into me. And the next day I drove up to Columbus 
had my surgery, was able to nurse Alex right up until they took me back from surgery. And then right afterward, we were able to continue that process. And I went home and I had a couple days of like, ooh, that doesn't feel so good. But that was it. And I was able to continue to care for Alex and and to be there for him. And that piece, it just came in and it transformed things. It changed the way that that situation functioned. So as we continue in Philippians chapter four, we see that Paul expands this topic and he talks about contentment. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The crux of what Paul is saying is that our earthly situation that we are in shouldn't affect our perspective. We are to be so rooted in heaven's perspective, so firmly tied to what our inheritance is, to the fact that we have a great destiny, that we're part of an unshakable kingdom, that our earthly circumstances just really don't matter that much. It doesn't change our perspective. Now, remember, Paul was in prison when he wrote Philippians. So his earthly circumstance at that point was like the definition of not good not happy, not pleasant, not enjoyable. And he was content. Do you know that feeling of contentment? When I think of being content, I think of sitting at the table, just had a good meal, Grant's gonna do the dishes. (laughs) All my favorite people are there. I kind of sit back, sigh, and kind of settle in for the good conversation that I know is gonna happen. Or I think about when I'm sitting in my office alone, because I'm an introvert and we love to be alone, and I just get overwhelmed with gratitude that this is my job, that I get to sit in an office and research and pray and listen and read my Bible and help lead kids to Jesus and help them get closer to Jesus. And I just get overwhelmed with gratitude that this is my job and I just have a sigh of contentment. For me, being content is always linked to gratitude. And here, Paul is saying that we can learn to have that contentment. He says that I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. It's something we can learn. We can learn how to have that feeling of joy and peace and gratitude and, oh, I wouldn't change a thing about this minute. We can have that. We can learn how to get there. And if we go back to the scientific proof of gratitude, gratitude in hard circumstances helps us survive those circumstances. That's precisely when we need gratitude the most. St. John of Avila said, one act of thanksgiving when things go wrong with us is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable to our inclinations. Isn't that true? 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 through 18. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Note that it says in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. 
Bad things are going to happen to us. We're going to get in situations that are not good. You don't have to be grateful that you're in that situation. You don't have to say, oh, thank you, God, that I have cancer. Oh, thank you, God, that I got in a car accident. Oh, thank you, God. Like, that's crazy. Okay, we're not going to give thanks for bad things. But what he's saying is, in all circumstances, there's something to be grateful for. Okay, we know God did not cause you to have cancer. God did not cause you to get into a car accident. God doesn't cause the bad things that happen to us. So we can stand firm on his goodness in all of our circumstances and still be grateful people. We can still give thanks. We can still walk in gratitude. Next, we need to have gratitude for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We live in a hard time. This is kind of a hard time in America as far as political perceptions and attitudes and conflict. But this tells us that we need to be grateful for our leaders. We need to be grateful for those who are in authority over us. Whether we agree with their politics, whether we agree with who they are personally, this tells us that we need to give thanksgiving for them. We need to be grateful for them. And I think, I really do, that if we as the church can learn to walk in gratitude for our government, for our leaders, for those in authority, we will change the landscape of this country. It is powerful. We, it's almost like we have a responsibility to carry that weight and to walk in gratitude for our leaders. We are called to do that. On a lighter side, some practical tips for how to walk in in gratitude. This book is written by Ann Voskamp. It's called 1,000 Gifts. I read it a couple years ago with a mom's group that I was in. But gentlemen, I think you'd like it too. She, 1,000 Gifts is 1,000 things that she was thankful for. She was challenged to write down things that she was grateful for. And so this book kind of chronicles her journey of gratitude and the heart transformation that she went under. And it's, it's a very powerful book. So if you're a reader, maybe pick it up. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for a long time. So it's a great book. Secondly, start a gratitude journal. This is mine. I didn't buy it with the intent of it being a gratitude journal. I picked it up at Walmart for like $4 on a whim one day. And then in January of 2017, I decided to be intentional with my journaling practices. And so I flipped back through it this week. I was actually surprised that about 75% of the entries have thank you written down. And I was like, oh, look at me. I'm doing a good job. I didn't even mean to. But find a journal and... Just write things down. They don't have to be big. They can be really small things. Somebody after first service came up to me and she said that she has a gratitude journal. Well, just a journal, but she tries to write three things every day that she's grateful for. And she was going through a really hard time and her mom was dying. And she said one of the times she wrote down, I'm grateful I didn't kill anyone today. (laughs) Like, 
I mean, they can be small things. Small victories are fine. But pick up a journal, write it down. A cool thing, as I was going back through this, I could see some of the areas where I was grateful and where I expressed gratitude and I took the time to be intentional and write it down. I've actually been blessed with more in those areas. So it was really neat to kind of go back and read through that. Set a reminder on your phone. I don't know about you guys, but my phone is always close by. I set reminders for lots of things. Set a reminder on your phone to remind you to be grateful. Maybe it goes off at your lunch hour every day. Hey, be grateful for something. And you just say a quick mental prayer. Start a text thread with friends and family where you're only allowed to say things you're grateful for or something. Have fun with it. And these are small things. Like, you can... Be grateful for God, for who he is. Be grateful for an unshakable kingdom, but take time and notice the small things around you. Like be grateful for the light of your Christmas tree. Be grateful for putting your cold toes on your warm husband's leg when you climb into bed. Be grateful, like for, for me, I love like bacon pizza on a Friday night when I have my jammy pants on, you know? Like take time and notice the, the small things. You know, Ann Voskamp, when she... When you're writing down a thousand things you're grateful for, they can't all be big. And one of the ones that sticks out to me is she was grateful for the way the sun reflected off of the dish suds that were in her sink, you know, and the way that those looked. So take some time and be grateful for small things. So I want to finish today with just a few more words about the Bible, just in general. The Bible contains so much Wisdom, And I think sometimes we don't give the Bible enough credit for the wisdom that it contains. Proverbs was written in about 700 BC by King Solomon. He's the one that wrote that a joyful heart is good medicine almost 3,000 years ago. And now science has kind of caught up and we have researchers and scientists and psychologists who are saying, hey, guess what? A joyful heart actually is good medicine. There actually are medical benefits to laughter and gratitude. And so science has kind of caught up to where King Solomon was 3,000 years ago. There can be lots of things in the Bible that were like, oh, that's old fashioned or that's odd or I'm just gonna kind of gloss over it. But I think that science is kind of catching up to what the Bible already knows. So another example, the law of Moses is written in the Old Testament, primarily in Leviticus, and it's all of these things that the Israelites had to do, specifically while they were living in the desert, rituals for how they needed to clean themselves before they went into the tabernacle, rituals for what they had to do if an animal that they were supposed to eat died of natural causes, what they had to do if somebody had a rash, what they had to do if somebody died, all of these things that they had to do. And a lot of it, if you read through it, it seems kind of extreme and very meticulous and methodical. But I was curious, and so I looked up the science behind the law of Moses, and I found this information. Moses was schooled in the highest Egyptian schools. So if you remember the story of Moses, when he was a baby, his mother put him in a basket in the river and sent him down the river to save his life, and then one of Pharaoh's daughters plucked him out of the river, and then he was raised in Pharaoh's house. So he was raised as an Egyptian, and he went to the highest Egyptian schools. But yet, the gross errors 
that we know were a part of the Egyptian knowledge base at that time never show up in the law of Moses. Egyptian knowledge at that time was based in superstition. None of that shows up in the law of Moses. And then listen to this quote. But instead, the instructions Moses laid down for Israel were utterly at variance with the accepted practices of that day and fully in harmony with modern day scientific facts. Isn't that incredible? Like we know today, like modern science, we know that there are germs and bacteria and viruses. We know how those things work now. They didn't have that knowledge base back then. But based on what we know now, we know that these cleansing rituals are how the Israelites actually survived in the desert for 40 years. God knows the science behind things. Or actually, he created the science behind things. He knew that germs can spread, and so he made these cleansing rituals, and then he gave them to Moses supernaturally so that his people could survive. We know that Moses had to receive it directly from God because his earthly knowledge was in direct contradiction to what he set down before the people. God knew then what his people needed to survive and to flourish, and he knows now what we need to survive and to flourish, and we need to walk in gratitude If we want to survive hard circumstances, if we want to survive daily life, we need to have an active gratitude practice. There's science in the Bible. God didn't just tell us to be grateful so that there's one more thing that we have to do every day. He knows how our bodies work. He knows how our minds work. He knows the best way for us to live. So that begs the question, are we taking seriously the biblical directive to be grateful? Are we living lives of gratitude or are we grumbling? Do we look for the silver linings, for the blessings in our lives? Are we standing firm on the goodness of God in the midst of trauma? Gratitude is not weak. Gratitude is not blind optimism. Gratitude is not naive. It is acknowledging the situations we are in, eyes wide open, and choosing to be grateful, choosing to have heaven's perspective, and it's been scientifically proven to be powerful. The Bible is wisdom, even when science hasn't advanced to the point to say, yes, everything is 100% scientifically true, it'll get there, it'll catch up, I think. It is wisdom. We see over and over biblical characters exercising gratitude, Jesus exercising gratitude, being told over and over to be grateful, be thankful, to give thanks. I want to have a heart posture of accepting God's word as true and as beneficial to my life. And I want to have a heart posture of gratitude. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you made us. I thank you for how you created us. I thank you that you know us intimately. You know how we function. I pray that you would help each one of us take our next step of gratitude. That you would open our eyes to the situation that that surrounds us, to the reality of our blessings and how good you are to us. 
I pray that envy and greed and pride would just get shoved down out of the way, that those wouldn't be an issue we have to battle anymore, but that we would be able to walk in gratitude. We love you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to go in. Thank you. (laughs) We're going to go into the next part of our service, which is worship. And we always start worship by receiving the offering. So if you're on the far left of a row, you can grab the basket and pass it down. This is a great time to exercise gratitude. Just as you pass the basket, just say thank you, Jesus, for how you've provided for our family, for my life. I want to be grateful for the things that he has provided for me as well. So Jesus, thank you for this money that's been given. We pray that you would use it to multiply your kingdom, that your kingdom would advance and your kingdom would impact this city and this country and this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's all stand. We'll start by standing. You can sit anytime while we worship. Feel free to come up front to worship. And there's lots of room in the back if you move around a lot. go. Thank you, Jesus, for being who you are. Thank you for being the great I am. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love to be with us, that you love worship just as much as we do, that you love to dwell with us and be with us. Take a minute and just out loud, just thank God for who he is.
we are grateful people. My goodness, we are walking in gratitude. Don't you feel good? <laughs> Doesn't it feel good to walk in gratitude? Oh, Jesus, we want to be people that walk in gratitude. Help us to carry this gratitude with us as we leave this place, as we leave this room, as we go into our lives. Help us be grateful people, not just today, not just on Thanksgiving, not just at Christmas, but every day. Help us keep our eyes focused on you. Focus on how good you are and the blessings that you have given us because you are good and you love us. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. Amen. The prayer teams are gonna be up here. If you need prayer for any reason, please come on up. Have a great week. Thank you.